I used to live in Montgomery County, man. You know what I mean? Montgomery County, Maryland. Shout out to everybody in Aspen Hill. Brockville Rams was goody. So being able to speak to Will Jawando, an attorney activist representative of over a million citizens in Montgomery County, Maryland, as a council member, is dope. Today, I'm stuck in Middle Podcast. And I'm excited for it, man. We're going to ask him all the questions. You know what I mean? Like, we got the elections coming in November, too. And uh, he recently just endorsed Senator and now potential VP of the United States of America. So we're going to ask him about that too. But stick around. We got so much to speak with Will Jawando. He was on the cover of IO Magazine. It's dope. Appreciate y'all checking this. This is Sucking Middle Podcast, a platform for entrepreneurs, innovators, creators of African descent. Hit that subscribe button, man. We're going to drop the intro and get into the video on Reflex, your host. Let's get it. Every, every level of government is important, right? But you chose the local um, local level of, you know, policies. Why, why did you choose local, the local level of government to, you know, run it and, st- and start your career? That's a great question. And thanks for having me on, Flex. I really appreciate it. And hello to all your listeners uh, here in the U.S. and abroad and back home. Um, local government really, and I've worked at all the levels, right? So I worked for President Obama in the White House. I worked... Uh, in Congress for Nancy Pelosi, and uh, and then I worked uh, at the, now I'm at the local level. And for 90% or more of what people deal with in their daily lives, it's really local elected officials. You're mm-hmm. talking about schools, money for schools and school policy, mm-hmm. roads, you know, is there is there a pothole in my street? Police and fire, are they responding on time? Are they treating us fairly? Um, you know, libraries, parks, all those things are funded through local government. And here in the county, we have 1.1 million people uh, for the top 10 most diverse cities in the country, mm-hmm. a billion dollar budget. And I'm one of nine people who decides how to spend that money to fund all those things, in addition to passing all the local laws and ordinances. So it's really a, a great way to have impact in the lives of real people. You know, if I fund mm-hmm. an African program I get to see that program next year helping kids in our community so right. um, so that's why I think it's important for people to really pay attention locally and you were actually sworn in as a Montgomery County uh, council member back in December 2018 uh, what would like some of you if, if you can remember what were some of your plans going in and what if you actually you know be able to accomplish in like two years now yeah going on two years yeah and little did I know I'd be having to govern in the middle of a pandemic and, right. <laughs> uh, you know, social unrest. and, uh, and uh, But, you know, my whole uh, platform was about something I call like the Montgomery County Promise. It's basically a version of the American dream, dream but here locally. You know, when people come here, when my dad came here from Nigeria in 1970 to go to school and settled in Silver Spring, he was looking for the same thing that people of all races were, were looking for that came here Mm-hmm. 400 years before him, you know, someplace that you can be accepted, someplace right. that you can start a business and learn, uh, a safe community, a welcoming community, good schools, um, those kind of quality of life things. And we know, you know, you you know, you lived in Aspen Hill, depending on where you live in this county, in this country, some of those things are more or less available to certain types of people in certain communities. And my, my whole platform was we need to expand that Montgomery County promise, those basic things to everybody in our county, regardless of where they're from, 
or where they live or what they look like or who they worship. And so that's things like equitable schools, funding for our schools. That's things like criminal justice reform, making sure that police treat everyone in our community with respect and don't target certain members. Uh, it's things like making sure there's equitable access to healthcare. Uh, and, and that's particularly important now in COVID. So uh, making sure rent stays under control, you know? So I, I've made progress on all those things. I've had bills related to criminal justice that have passed. Uh, I've passed the first ever rent stabilization during COVID where you can't raise rents right now because people can't afford. Right. Uh, so I've done a number of things, you know, I'm only about, like you said, a little less than two years, about 20 months in, but I'm very proud of what we've accomplished our team so far. We've got a lot more to do though, obviously. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you mentioned uh, your father uh, from in Nigeria, and I, I remember your uh, in the, uh, swearing in ceremony. You wore the Agbada, which was really clean, by the way, at your Absolutely. ceremony. Why, why, why did you choose to wear that? It was just different from you know the traditional custom suit and tie. You know, why did you choose to you know get decked out in the Agbada traditional garment? Well, you know, it was um, it was a couple of things. One, my you know my dad had passed away the year just just before a few mm -hmm. months and didn't get to see me get elected. Uh, he knew I was running. Um, and if he were there, he would have been wearing an Agbada. You know, he would have been in traditional clothing. And so that was one thing. I wanted to honor him and honor that uh, part of my history and my legacy of my family. But I also wanted to say with a really loud voice, but by demonstrate for all the immigrants in Montgomery County, and not just the Montgomery County, the state of Maryland and the country, that you can be fully who you are. You can be fully American, and in my case, also fully Nigerian. You don't have to check one at the door. That's what America's about. And so in this county, one in three of our residents, one in three, are were born in another country. Mm. Uh, if you add their kids, like, like me, you, I was born here, but to an immigrant parent, you get up to about 45% of our population are either immigrant, first generation, or second generation. And so that's a huge part of who we are. Yet I was the first one ever to wear any type of traditional clothing in a government setting like that it is swearing into the office. And I just thought it was an important symbol. And I've heard from Chinese, Indian, uh, South American, you know, obviously uh, African, Nigerian, West African in particular, about how that just meant so much to them to see someone in elected office in a very formal setting. Mm -hmm being who they were and reflecting their heritage. So I thought that was really important to do uh, for both those reasons. And what side of your, uh, the, the word is your mom from? America, what, so, what part of America? Yeah, so my mom is from the Midwest. So my mom is from Kansas. She's a, a, a from a farm town in the middle of Kansas. She's a white yeah. woman from Kansas. Yeah. yeah, and so she, actually my dad came over to go to school and, and came to Kansas, the town she grew up in, Hayes, Kansas. They met there in school. Uh, and got together and they moved east mm -hmm. seeking economic opportunity, but also more understanding for their uh, interracial relationship. Because you can imagine in 1970 in Kansas, they weren't really happy about a black, a Nigerian guy with a white woman in Kansas. For sure, for sure. Uh, you're married? Say it again. Yes, Are I'm you? married. Yeah, I'm married to a Jamaican uh, Bermudian from New York. And, uh, and we have four children, three girls and a boy. Yeah. What, what did you go to college and uh, what do you, and what did you study? Uh, so I started out um, at North Carolina Central, an H, which is a historically black college in uh, Durham, North Carolina. 
Um, and then I transferred uh, to Catholic University and finished there and studied sociology undergrad, you know, and uh, which had a big impact on me, how people interact in equities in our society. Uh, and then I went to law school at Catholic University, the Columbus School of Law as well. I did a joint program there. Mm-hmm. So uh, I've, I've been pretty local other than that brief stint yeah. in North Carolina. At what point, at one point in life, though, did you figure, you know, like, you know, you had a passion for politics and then started to want to pursue that as a career? You know, um, I never, I wasn't one of these people that said, I'm going to be a politician, you know, I'm going to run for, mm-hmm. you know, that wasn't my thing. I just, uh, I, it found me and I found it. And it's, I think I can trace it back to uh, when I was a, just growing up here in Montgomery County, and you should, you'll relate to this, you know, I just saw things not that weren't equal. You know, like I grew up in Long Branch in the Quebec Terrace area, which is a low income immigrant area here in Silver Spring. And, you know, when I was in, uh, a teenager, I lost one of my best friends to gun violence. He was also an immigrant. Mm-hmm. Uh, kid and it made me analyze some of these inequities like why didn't he have an after-school program why did his mom have to work two low-wage jobs uh you know why was his dad incarcerated for you know um, all these things that are connected to systems and policy led to his bad outcome and uh Mm -hmm. and that that stuck with me and i didn't know i was going to turn it into being into politics or public policy Mm-hmm. But as I kept going, I saw that as a big lever. If you want to change these policies, if, if I want to fund after school programs, if I want to make sure that there's a living wage so his so that people like his mom can work one job and get home and be with their families. Uh, if I want to make transportation better, those are public policy decisions. Right. And uh, that's why I ended up pursuing that. And I worked 10 years as a staff person at the federal level you know, between the Department of Education and state and the uh, White House and, and Congress. And then I went locally because I, I thought I could have an impact, you know, in my backyard where I grew up. Mm, yeah, I love it. Uh, you mentioned earlier, you know, the, 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 the pandemic getting into office, you know, right at the heels of a pandemic, something we've had to deal with in a global level, you know, a national level and all the way down to, you know, a, a local level. How, do you, in your view, do you think Montgomery County has handled the coronavirus and the state of Maryland for that matter? Well, you know, I'm very proud of what we've done in Montgomery County. We, you know, we've been slower to open and that's frustrating for a lot of people. And I understand that. But as a result, you know, we have seen to be as large as we are, the largest jurisdiction in the state. Uh, we have 1.1 million of the 6 million people in Maryland mm. uh, and to have some of the lowest rates of transmission. And we have some of the biggest cities, too. Right. right. And and so I think we proceeded with caution, looked at data. Uh, and let that drive our decision making, unlike what you're seeing in other states and at the federal level. Um, you know, so I think we've done well. We're not out of the woods yet, though. You know, like, you know, this uh, virus is going to come back. And it's, it's already here. But in the fall, it's going to be harder to be outside and socially distance. So we're really going to have to double down. People are tired, are getting fatigued. Mm-hmm. So we're going to, it's going to be a long haul to get through the rest of the year and hopefully vaccines come online. We have several Montgomery County companies that are working on some of the major vaccines. Um, and so we're working, I'm proud of what we've done. I think the state of Maryland started off doing a good job, the gov- Governor Hogan, but then he started getting into politics and playing around with the schools and, and with our elections and 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 not really uh, 
staying true to just listening to scientists and letting that be the basis. Mm. And that's unfortunate, but we're going to do what we can here in the state, in the county, to make sure we keep people safe. Uh, just for educational purposes here, how long is a council member in tenure for and what specific jurisdiction do you represent? Yeah, that's a great question. So I am uh, an at-large member, which means I represent the whole county. So I'm elected countywide. The council has nine members, five are districts. So one, two, three, four, five, they basically go west to east. District one is like Bethesda, district five is Briggs Cheney, and then everything in between. Mm -hmm. uh, and there are five district members and four at-large members. And I'm one of the at-large, uh, actually the only African, the only black person to be elected at-large. Um, and so I represent everyone in the county. Uh, everyone gets to vote for me and I, and I represent all the areas. So I'm not just one specific area, I'm the whole area. And the term is for four years. Um, and you can serve up to three terms because of term limits. So I'm in my second year of the first term. Mm -hmm. hey, so, you know what I'm saying? We, we're looking to get you back in office here in a you know, couple of years. You know, the that's first, right, that's right. One of the only blacks. Uh, but in what capacity is your job carried out, though? You know, just getting into the meat and potato of things like what, what does a council member actually do? I know you represent, you know, the people in, you know, in the local government actually making you know, policies that actually affect us in a very local capacity, but just getting into the weed of things and what, what do you actually do and carry out? Yeah, that's a great question. So council member, we're responsible for spending the budget that you and I are taxpayer dollars. Um, and I said, that's about $6 billion every year. I think a lot of people are surprised. That's bigger than four state budgets. That's mm -hmm. a lot of money. And, and, and there's nine people who decide how to spend that money. And I'm one of them. Uh, and goes to things like schools and public safety and roads and libraries and parks and the like. Uh, so, and then we pass the laws, so the rules of the county. So uh, what can our uh, people do and not do? What can our police do and not do? What, you know, what, what are the rules that we abide ourselves by here in this society? Uh, and then we also pass zoning, which is something people don't know about a lot. Like, so, so when you see that big high rise apartment, they have to come to us to get approval to build that. Um, and, and that's uh, another big part of our authority is setting the limits on what can be built where, how big it can be, how much affordable housing needs to be in it, and all those types of things. So those, so we, got, we have pretty significant authority, again, for uh, this county. Mm -hmm. Montgomery County uh, alone, you know, in Maryland, just at large is one of the most diverse states. Montgomery County alone is one of the most diverse counties, I think, by my estimation, in, in the nation. Yeah. But you know, when we when we get down into it, you know, I think there is a disparity in not only education but also housing. And you mentioned housing. What? How can we begin to bridge, you know, that, that gap as far as you know, affordable housing or just you know, people being able to afford houses in, in jurisdictions and places that they can afford and and should should be able to live in. Yes, yeah, it's a great question. Um, and housing is one of those things that's, you know, is a human right, right? You can't, it be, everything else in your life, if you don't have someplace where you can go and be safe and your head down, mm -hmm. particularly for children, someplace that's stable and, you know, safe and clean, um, that's a huge deal. And this is an expensive county, an expensive state to live in. Right. And we're segregated, right? And socioeconomically, racial, ethnically, We've got our lar a large percentage of our black and African immigrant population in the eastern part of the county, some in the up county. And then uh, we have our white population in the western and upper, upper parts. And then you've got some you know, mixes in the middle 
as you said, we have four of the top 10 most diverse cities in the country are in Montgomery County, Silver Spring, Gaithersburg, Germantown, and Rockville. And that's a great thing. Um, but with that becomes responsibility to make sure everyone has access. And so uh, a couple things we need to do. We need to make sure when new buildings are built, Mm-hmm. that there are high requirements on the developer uh, to build a, a respectable and amount of affordable units. Uh, and we have a law in the county that requires them to build 12.5%. So if there's 100 units in an apartment, 12 and a half or, of them have to be moderately priced, uh, you know, at, at, you know, but that level is about $60,000 a year. There's a lot of people making less than that. So we need to have different levels of affordability. That's one thing, and I'm working on that. We also need to control how much rents can go up in any given year. And that's something that we have now through COVID. Uh, I was able to temporarily hold those, but I think we need to look at that going forward because that's a big concern for people. You know, your, your rent shouldn't go up 10, 20% in one year, you know, right. you can't afford it. Um, right. Yeah, and then, and then I think the other thing we need to do um, is we need different types of housing, right? You know, we don't just need high rise one bedrooms or single family homes. We need stuff in the middle. We need like duplexes and and, and triplexes and quads and smaller things that people can buy that are more affordable, mm-hmm. um, different types of housing stock. Um, and I think if you do all those things, have requirements, regulations, uh, incentivize different types of housing stock, you know, try to hold down rents, Give, give help for a, a closing costs uh, and down payment assistance for people who want to buy homes, townhomes or houses. Mm-hmm. If you do all those things, I think you can start to to work on it. Um, and and then we got to raise wages, right? We got to make mm-hmm. sure people can earn a job, you know, whatever job they're doing, uh, make enough to live here, you know, mm-hmm. so that that's part of it too. Yeah, because... You know, not not proud to say one of the reasons why, you know, I live in Lower now on the other side of Maryland in Prince George's is because, you know, the rent was getting a little too high. Right, right. Yeah, so, um, but switching switching gears a little bit here, you got Senator, then Senator Kamala Harris endorsement when you were running for office and then now endorsing her uh, as the potential, the first, you know, female VP in, 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 in the nation, in the biggest nation in the world. Um, What do you see in her that, you know, makes you think, She's fit for the job and, you know, reciprocating when she's showing you to be able to endorse you when you're running for office. Yes, uh, Kamala Harris, uh, Senator Harris is, a, you know, I'm, I'm fortunate to know her personally and have worked with her. Uh, you know, she cares about people and she, and, and particularly she understands the immigrant story, which is really the American story. Unless you're an uh, indigenous person, someone came here on some boat at some point or some plane at some point in time um, and you know, haven't she has a Jamaican father and an Indian mother, and and she's worked hard uh, as a senator and as as a prosecutor and attorney general to you know uphold the rule of law. She, but the most important thing is she cares about people. She can connect with people. She has empathy. Joe Biden too. Uh, you know, I worked in the White House with him. He might not get every answer right, but he knows at the end of the day he cares for people. Um, and that's what we need now more than ever. We need people who are going to try to find solutions, uh, but from a place of being radically empathetic, from care, caring about what other people are going through. And and that's what I know that Senator Harris and Vice President Biden will do. 
Uh, I was honored to get her endorsement. She didn't have to do that in a race like mine at the local level. But I think it speaks to the fact that she sees it important to reach back and to help people who are coming behind uh, and who are trying to do the right thing and help their residents and constituents as well. Yeah. And in order for her, uh, and, you know, uh, former Vice President Joe Biden to get in office, people have to get out and vote. And I saw you had a strong rebuke for Governor Larry Hogan on, you know, the reopening of uh, public and private schools and still being in the, you know, hills of the pandemic here. What are your views on the mailing ballot, the whole, you know, it's a big debate topic of debate right now. You know, what, what, what do you think should, that, how do you think that should be handled as far as mailing ballots and the virus that we're still facing right now? Well, the number one thing is if you, request a mail-in ballot. You should have received a form in the mail if you're registered to vote to do so. If you didn't, you can go on the Board of Elections website and request it. Uh, that's the number one thing because we want to make sure that you're able to vote. We expect long lines on election day. So request that ballot. You have to send it in and request it. You can do it online with a driver's license or, or a state-issued ID. Um, the problem I have with what Larry Hogan did, our governor, is in the primary, if you remember in June, everyone got a ballot in the mail. Right. It was sent out to everybody no matter what because we were trying to discourage people from risk their health. And so now in the same election cycle, you're not doing that and you didn't tell anybody. And so a lot of people that I talk to and probably people that are listening, if you live in Maryland, you think you're getting a ballot, but you're not unless you request it. And so, that is a tactic that's been used to suppress the vote. Um, and, and it puts people at risk, you know, and, and, and I suspect that you have to turn out. And if you do have to show up and vote on election day, there's going to be early voting centers. Uh, there's going to be places where you can put your ballot, drop it off. But if you vote on election day, wear a mask, socially distance. But I was upset with them because it's a way of disenfranchising and confusing voters. Mm -hmm. If you did it in the primary in June, you should do it in November. So people expect the same behavior. And and with the attacks on the Postal Service by the president, our Board of Elections and our Postal Service is saying they might not be able to get all the ballots out to people and back in in time for them to be counted. So that's a big problem. And we've seen that in other states. So, so that was the argument I was having with the governor. Uh, I just really don't think that was the right uh, action. But no matter what happens, and we've always done this as black people, people of color, we've got to get out and vote one way or the other. So request your ballot now. You can still get it. Um, we've got, you know, 50 something days to the election. Request your ballot. But if you have to show up, show up and do it in a safe way. Definitely. Uh, yesterday, I, I believe it was last night, you had a town hall or hosted a town hall on data on policing. You know, um, this nation is blessed to be as diverse as it is. And Montgomery County, you know, as far as when I live there, it's also, you know, one, I think I felt, I felt safe living there and police to, you know, um, minority relations, uh, not living in Montgomery County right now. I, I don't really know what the data is. What do those data look like as far as, you know, what you saw in the town hall? And also how can we combat the disparity uh, you know, relationships between the public and police, or that, those interactions in, in the local level and also, you know, spreading in the nation level, national level. Sure. Yeah. The, you know, police community relations are obviously extremely important. Um, you know, we are in the midst of a, a worldwide protests on the murder of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and 
and we've had people here. We've had African immigrant men killed here in Montgomery County. Uh, Robert White, uh, Emmanuel Okutunga in 2011. Robert White, two years ago, walking in his neighborhood unarmed. Uh, most recently, Fanon Berhe, an Eritrean uh, young man uh, who was killed having a mental health issue in front of his house in White Oak. Uh, and then we have disproportionate data, you know, um, almost 60% uh, of the interactions that police have that require, that have had use of force, so where force is used, were against African-Americans. And African-American black people only represent 18% of the population. Half of the people arrested in the whole county in 2018 were black. Again, we represent 18% of the population. A th over th a third 34% of the people pulled over in the county are black. Um, you're eight times more likely to get pulled over in Bethesda as a black person than a white person. So there's a whole, even though white people dramatically outnumber black people in Bethesda. Um, so we have some some issues. I would agree with you that on, on balance, our police department, we have a good police department, um, but that doesn't mean we don't have issues and that we don't have disparities because we do. Depending on who you are in the, this county and in this country, you experience policing differently. And and my theory has been, we need to change the incentive structure, de-emphasize arrests and tickets and, and emphasize positive measures. Uh, we need to have better accountability and transparency. We need to focus more on who we're hiring, make sure and, and how they're trained. Um, and all those things, if we do them all together, I think can lead to a more equitable system where police don't aren't involved in things they shouldn't be. They don't need to be responding when someone's dealing with a mental health crisis or someone's experiencing homelessness or someone has a substance abuse issue. Uh, we, there are trained professionals that can be deployed instead of those uh, officers. Um, because we know if an interaction happens, there's more likely that harm can happen, right? And so we need to make sure that we limit that. Um, and I've also been working on like getting police out of our schools to focus our kids uh, on the things they need. I think, so we need to reimagine what public safety is and that'll mean that we have to reallocate dollars and do things differently. But I think we have an opportunity in Montgomery County to really be a leader on that. Yeah, uh, so would you, you know, what do you, what, what do you see in response to people calling for defunding the police? I think, I think your, your answer was, you know, in, in what you just said now, but you know, just for yeah. clarity. Yeah, because you can cut it. You can cut it up and take what you want. Um, yeah, you know, on the on the defunding police, I, as I said, I, I wrote an op-ed in the Washington Post a, uh, definitely yes a little while ago. And to me, it's we, what we really need is reimagining what public safety and policing is. And that was the title of my town hall last uh, earlier this week. Mm -hmm. And that will include reallocating resources, right? And so, if police office if, if police officers aren't in our schools and an enforcement capacity school resource officers that's three million dollars a year we can take and use for nurses or counselors or, or other programs for us for our students that are going to help keep them out of trouble and minimize the need for police right and so that's what that's what it's about when you shift money uh when our if we don't have to deploy police when there's a homeless person or someone who has a mental health issue and we can deploy a counselor or a medic or a crisis intervention worker, that money should go to health and human services to support those types of programs and, mm -hmm. and the police don't need it. We need our police focused on violent crime. 
of the all the 911 calls that happen, only 10% are related to violent crime. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think we need to hone in on those things uh, and then use other mechanisms that don't necessarily require police. And that will mean we need to move funding. But I, I do not support saying we're going to eliminate the police. There is a role for police uh, in public safety. We just need to change the form and the function of what they do and then make sure that there's transparency and accountability as well. Yeah. We've got a constant member for just a few more minutes here. Got just a couple of questions, Steph. But I definitely want to thank everybody who's watching on YouTube or listening in your car, you know, doing your dishes or whatever. This is Stuck in Middle Podcast. We got Council Member Will Juwanda on. He is an activist attorney and a council member for over a million people in the Montgomery County, Maryland area. We appreciate you, by the way, Councilman, for uh, taking this time to speak with us. At just the young and tender age of 38, uh, what does the political future for you look like? You know what I mean? What's next for you? I don't know if you if you think about that right now. Or you're just like, let me get through this this term first. <laughs> yeah, I appreciate that, and and thank you for saying I'm young at 38. Um, you know, my goal has always been uh, to do a good job where I'm at and and grow where I'm planted, and that's what I'm focused on right now, representing the 1.1 million people here in the county. Uh, I think if I I have an opportunity to help them, help our residents, uh, help the state and be a model and, and for the other parts of the country. And then we'll see what happens. You know, um, you always have to look for opportunities, what God wants you to do next. Mm -hmm. I think I'm in a good position now. And I do know that I, the public policy uh, in uh, public service is always gonna be a big part of what I care about. And so I hope I have continued opportunities in the future to continue to do that. And we'll see, yeah. we'll see where it takes me. Well, it's two part question here. What is the hardest part about being a council member? What is your, your proudest moment since uh, so far since being sworn in? Oh, wow. Those are, those are tough questions. The hardest part about being a council member, I think is dealing with, sometimes dealing with the slowness of bureaucracy, right? Mm -hmm because there are urgent needs. You know, there are kids tonight that are gonna go home, that are going home hungry. Uh, and I, I, you know, I would like to move more urgently, you know, uh, help them. Uh, there's, there's seniors in our community that are in nursing homes that don't have the best health standards. I, I think about them, you know, um, and so we're, we're doing things to help. Sometimes it takes longer than I'd like. And mm -hmm. and then also breaking down these systems of historic inequities. Look, you know, we're operating in a a caste system where uh, enforced by racism, where black folks have been at the bottom for hundreds of years and trying to dis disentangle this system from that is challenging, right? Um, mm -hmm. And it takes work. Um, so that's that can be frustrating at times, but it, it, I'm also blessed to be in a position to do that. Uh, as far as my proudest moment, I, you know, there's many. Uh, I think, you know, when I was able to pass this landmark um, use of force bill, where we changed the standard for use of deadly force from reasonable to necessary after all other options are exhausted, um, and we required uh, a duty to intervene and we and we limited no-knock warrants you know really comprehensive bill that is going to help save people's lives uh, and, and reduce harm 
that was really, I was really proud when we did that in June and uh, with my colleagues. And, uh, you know, it reminded me why I'm here. And I think a big part of why I'm in this office right now is to represent all of our residents. Because when we represent everybody and help every community, that lifts up the whole community. And, and that requires us to go at inequity. So this was an example of that. Um, I've done a lot of other things I'm proud of, but I would have to say that's one recently that I'm very proud of. Yeah. And one, one, you know, that personally speaking that I, that also led us to you. And again, we appreciate you speaking with us today is, you know, being on the cover of IO magazine, shout out to Leslie and the good folks at IO spaces. How was that experience like for you? It was cool. I didn't know I was going <laughs> to be on the cover. I thought, you know, I just thought I was one of the people being highlighted and, uh, I appreciate Leslie for all the work. There's some great, great people that are doing great things in that in that magazine uh, for our community and the African diaspora. And uh, it's an honor. I mean, I think at the moment in time we're in, we need leadership in every arena, in the business community and uh, in government, uh, in, in public policy. And so I'm just proud to be doing my part in trying to uh, improve life for African immigrants, but also for everyone in our community. So I appreciate Leslie and Io for recognizing yeah. that and, and featuring me. Yeah, I know your schedule is busy. I don't know, you know, what, what what it's like, you know, to find time to, you know, be a family man and also, you know, to just uh, enjoy life as well. I did see you in the comments in one of the versus battles. And so I'm asking you now, who you think is going to win between Pat LaBelle and Gladys Knight coming up tomorrow in the versus <laughs> battle? <laughs> Will you be watching? And who are you rooting for? <laughs> oh, that's, yeah, that's a tough one, man. And thank God for versus during this pandemic, man. You know, it's been, yeah. you know I'm going to have to go uh, with Patti LaBelle. Um, you know, I think she's, but it's tough. That's a close one. They've both got, they both got so many good songs and uh, I'm going to be tuning into that. I, I actually have an old soul. My first concert was a James Brown concert. So, you know, so I, I like that kind of music and um, mm -hmm. but we'll see, we'll see, we'll see who, uh, you know, how they do, but you know, it's, that's a tough, that's a tough, tough, tough uh, group. It's going to be a lot of classics. Yeah, definitely. Um, what about you? Who do you think? Man, they, you know, they're both, they're both legends. And so I'm just going to be in there watching for, you know, the great, <laughs> the great music and the great vibes. And uh, I, w I would just uh, be enjoying the moment. Um, we need to do an Afro Beats one. We need to do I know. Like, we need to do like a whiskey and video or something like that. Yeah, that would be good. <laughs> we, we might have to make that happen on, you know, start talking about that. Definitely, definitely. Um, last question for you here, as you know, like you said, being in touch with your heritage, which I definitely appreciate. Any plans for Nigeria in the future, even if it's just visiting, you know, um, or, you know, investing back home? What, what, what do you have for back home? Yeah, well, you know, all my family, uh, you know, my dad, as I said, passed away, but my uncles and my aunt uh, and my cousins all live in Nigeria for the most part. Uh, I was there uh, in 2019 uh or 2018 for, for christmas and you know i, I planned it, I'm, i was planning a trip for next year hopefully i'll be able to do it to try to take my whole family over uh we have some a family house there so it's really important to me that they know where they're from their ancestry uh and that there's some you know uh commerce between right you know we know a lot of uh african immigrants and all immigrants send money back home but how do we strengthen those bonds 
And I think I firmly believe that the stronger African immigrants are here in the U.S. in the diaspora, the stronger the continent will be mm -hmm. uh, by virtue of those relationships, whether it be funding business opportunities or people go moving back and starting businesses or working in public health. Uh, I think that's an important part of, of that mix. And that's why I was the co-founder of an organization here called the African Immigrant Caucus, which tries to organize the African immigrant community here to, to make sure that their political voice is heard. So, so I, I'll continue to do those types of things. And hopefully next year with the travel, we'll be able to get over there and, and visit. Um, but I see it as a lifelong relationship. You know, I'm a Nigerian American and that's what, that's who I am. And uh, I'm both of those things at the same time. Yeah. We always like to ask, you know, at the end of every interview, how people can get in contact with our guests. Uh, but, you know, person of your, of your statue, uh, do you have an open door policy and how can people get in contact with you? <laughs> no, yeah, I mean, I, I, my job is to respond to folks and, you know, just I'd ask for grace, you know, sometimes it takes a while because we get a lot of people. Um, but if you just, social media is good, you're at Will Jawando, W-I-L-L-J-A-W-A-N-D-O. That's Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Um, you can find me on any of those and, uh, or you can just go to my website, uh, council member, Will Jawando page, uh, on, if you just type council member, Will Jawando, it'll come up on Google, uh, and send me an email that way, but happy to, uh, respond. If there's anything my office can do to help for our residents, let me know. Definitely. Well, I appreciate you taking the time to speak to us here at Stock Community, sir. Thanks for having me, man. And, and congrats on this, uh, this podcast. I look forward to listening to all the episodes going forward. Thank you so much. Listen, if you heard what you liked or saw what you heard or like what you saw, whatever it is, hit that subscribe <laughs> button and the ringer so you get up there so every time we drop something new again. This is Stuck Middle Podcast, a platform for entrepreneurs, innovators, creators of African descent. We hear stories, ideas, and experiences on how we can break the mold. SITMPodcast237 at gmail.com is the email. Hit us up. New blog post dropping today. Um, AK, if you are good, shout out to my, shout out to Achiri, shout out to the whole team, and we are out.